Thanks for checking out the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news because it really applies to our real lives. We're well aware that we all need Jesus, and so we don't shame each other, we help each other. And we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. Well, good morning and welcome to Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield. My name is Joe Seastat. I'm the lead pastor here. Hey, if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here checking out our church. We'd love to connect you more into what is going on here. Visit the welcome table in the back. Um, And today's a great day because we're going to be talking about some of our beliefs uh, here as Christians and especially uh, here at Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield. We're in a uh, book in the Bible called Romans, and we're calling this series Forgiven because the greatest truth out of everything to do with Jesus is that we are made right with God and we've been forgiven of our sins and our, uh, our distance between us and a holy God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross offering us his life for ours. So if we put our faith in Jesus as Lord, you are made right with God. Look, I don't know what your situation is walking in this room for every person here. I don't know what your status is with God. If you're if you're in relationship with him, if you feel like uh, you've been forgiven by him, if you have peace with him, look, I want to tell you, through Jesus is how you receive peace. You can't buy that. There's no material possession that you could have. There's no job that you could have. There's no wife and kids that you could have that could give you that type of peace. It's only through Christ. So you can have that peace through him. We're forgiven. And that's what this book is all about. And we've been looking for the past 13 chapters. We're on week 19 right now, and we're heading into uh, chapter 14 out of a um, 16-chapter book. And last week, uh, we saw how we can all live peaceable lives. We can have peace with others in our lives. And how do we do that? Well, we saw we do that by honoring our leaders, giving them the respect that's due to them, submitting to our authorities, We do that by loving our neighbors, showing them agape. Remember that sacrificial type of love that Jesus showed us on the cross. And then we do that also by shining Christ. You know, we have this great message that we hold on to. We don't want to just keep that to ourselves. We want to share that with other people. That's how we can live peaceable lives. This week, we're going to get into the topic of convictions, of what's going on in the inside of what you believe. And here's my claim for you today. Convictions about faith can propel gospel advancement. Out of anything that you could possibly do in life, from your family, to your career, to your friendships, to your vocations, to your hobbies, anything that you could possibly do, the most important thing that you can do is to love the Lord Jesus and to share his love with other people, making disciples. Convictions are what propel people throughout all types of church history to make major advancements empowered by the Holy Spirit to see gospel advancement. When I say conviction, what I mean in this sense is those deep-rooted beliefs the things that you know, that you know, that you know. And you're willing to kind of like go to bat for those beliefs, those deep-seated beliefs that you have. All throughout church history, for the past 2,000 years, 
There's been person upon person and groups of people that God has used that have deep convictions, their beliefs. The Holy Spirit fans the flame on them, and then they are used to propel movements all throughout history. Take the Apostle Paul, who we've been seeing a lot of through the book of Acts, and the writer of this letter. The Apostle Paul had a deep conviction to go and reach Gentiles with the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And his conviction led him for two decades or so to travel around the known world at that time, planting dozens of churches, seeing thousands upon thousands of people be saved because of their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Convictions can be a really good thing and they can propel gospel movement. Here's the problem. Convictions about faith can also hinder gospel advancement. And that's usually because it's somebody with that one strong opinion within maybe a local church body or maybe in a one-on-one conversation that, that says something and they believe it to be so strongly. And it's like when you hear it, it can actually hurt your walk with God. It can take you back a couple of steps. Let me give you an example. When I was first a believer, a couple months in, Renee and I, our family attended two different churches One church we went to because our friends invited us there. It was a really growing church, and we went there on Sunday mornings, and we did all the programs. We did the marriage classes. We went to the conferences. We were there most every Sunday morning. That was one church. The other church was um, a church that we went to on Wednesday nights for Bible study, and they had a really cool kids program that our kids participated in. So we were kind of doing the two-church thing for a little while. Now, at the first church... I was invited to attend a men's two-year a men's ministry where I was learning from the Word of God, a Bible study. It was led by an elder at the church. And he and I were getting pretty close. In fact, I'd hang around after the men's groups, and I'd talk with them. He played uh, minor league baseball, and so did I, and we both played college baseball. So we had a lot of baseball stories, and I'm just early in my walk and getting very close with him and everything that we're going through as men there. And we're texting and things like that throughout the week. The other church, I loved the way that the pastor taught, and I learned so much. I would take a notebook, and I would write down, like, everything all the time. I'd lurk around afterwards. Our kids would kind of, like, run around. Renee and I would be hanging out. We invited, um, I'd be talking with the pastor. Renee and I invited the pastor and his wife over to our house a bunch. We were getting deep into the word of God and trying to learn things. Now, when I was early in on my faith, first several months, I was like a toddler with excitement, I was pure and innocent. All I wanted to do was like learn more. I was I was watching like the the Christian movies, and I was you know I, I was just on this joy ride. I was journaling for the first time, writing down everything that God was giving me. I was going on walks, and and everything was different. And I saw the world through like these innocent eyes. Then something happened. Within the same two week period of time, I heard the elder at the Sunday church in the men's group say something against the one church that I was attending on Wednesday nights because they started to find out I was going to both about their beliefs. And then within those same two weeks, I heard the pastor on that Wednesday night group say something bad about the beliefs of the Sunday church. And the way it went was the elder at the men's group 
had heard me talking and asking a bunch of questions, a bunch of curious questions about the things I was learning. And he said this, he said, Joe, the traditional church is dead. The church you're going to, I wouldn't listen to what they say. That's a dying church. And the reason why I said that is because the things I was learning there were really deeply rooted in traditional traditions of the, of the faith, a lot to do with Calvinism, and it was kind of talking about the sovereignty of God. I was bringing these things back, and that was his comment to me, and it hurt me so bad. It, it left me confused. It was like up to that point, I was totally innocent. I was, I was just like thinking we're all on the same team and things like that, and he said that thing, and just like it made me wonder like, and confused and not knowing what to do. Within two weeks, at the other church, they brought in a speaker and did this conference, and it was looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it was a confusing weekend for us. They brought in these speakers, and Renee and I wanted front row, so we sat literally in the front row, and there was this one speaker on Friday night that called forward anybody who wanted to be prayed over, and there was like 40 people kind of right in front of us. And Renee and I are there in the front row, and this, and this pastor, without really explaining what he was doing, he just started to go like person by person. He like put his hand on their forehead and was like slaying them in the spirit. If you've never seen that, it's like, it's what you see like on TV. You know, like he'd like put his hand, he said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Bam, people would be like falling down. And like one large lady like fell right in front of us on Renee's purse. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like leaving there confused. And so I like, sh I started sharing that with the Wednesday night pastor. And he said this you better watch out. That church is playing with strange fire. All throughout the Bible, God doesn't like it when we do improper worship practices, and I wouldn't be anywhere around that church. I went from feeling innocent and curious to feeling judged and confused all within two weeks' time because each of those leaders had convictions about their beliefs, and they handled them a certain way with me. Look, today is all about convictions in your faith. Convictions about your faith are not a bad thing. Convictions, beliefs about what you know to be true, even if it's a little different than other people in this congregation, that is not a bad thing. But I want to show you today a few general guidelines about how we are told to manage our convictions about the faith. It's not bad to have beliefs, that might be different, but we are called to steward and manage those beliefs in an inviting, good way. So here's my greatest hope. Look, if you're a believer and you're deep-rooted in some of the things you believe about the faith, God bless you. I'm so glad that you're here. We need that. We want to learn how to manage that, not condemn other people. If you're newer to the faith, maybe you're still wrestling with things like I was, and I still am in some ways, it's okay, and, and I want you to feel encouraged and welcomed at this church to feel curious and not feel like you have to have everything figured out, and you know that you're not going to be slammed for a question that you ask. And finally, if you've never settled, settled it with God, if, if I were to ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about like what your parents had you do growing up. I'm talking about you personally. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, my prayer right today is that somehow by the power of God, you will grow convicted of the most important thing, which is who Jesus Christ is, and it will change your life.
forever. A few general guidelines. Here's the first one. This is a quick one. Go out of your way to welcome new believers. Don't debate them. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We're going to stop there. That term weak in faith, it's not a bad thing. When I was early on in my faith journey, those first few months in, and I was talking with the elder and the pastor, I would have classified myself at that point weak in faith, very weak in faith. And that's not a bad thing. That just means that I hadn't like wrestled some of the doctrines, some of the beliefs down to the ground yet. I was very shapeable, very moldable. I was learning new things. Look, there's several people in this church who are still in that process. And that's a good thing. Like, don't lose that. That's an innocent place to be. Like, you're curious. You're like, oh, what does that mean? And actually, you're in a more healthy spot than a lot of us who have these implicit biases where we've seen certain scriptures over and over and over again and we jump so quickly to not being curious anymore. So we never want to lose that as believers. Like, when we read the text, we want to, like, ask the Lord. Like, Lord, what do you, like, you sit down in the morning, you pick up your Bible, Lord, will you please give me fresh manna today? Fresh manna. Give me new food. Give me something that's new for today that I've never seen before. Show me something new. Because when you're a new believer and you're weak in faith, you tend to have eyes that are more open and ears that are more inviting to listen to something new. That's not a bad thing. Here's the deal, though. We have several people in this room today that are weak in faith because they're newer believers. If you're somebody who's a little further along, your job is to welcome that person, not to debate them. There's no reason in the first six months of somebody being a believer to start talking about the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. There's nothing good that will come out of that when you're, when you're trying to argue somebody about those types of things. Keep those to yourself. Your job, friend, if you're a little further along, invite that person in. Make them feel welcome. Make an environment where they can ask you questions. Mull around with that. Ask them a question back. Don't just give them an answer. Say, what do you think about that? What is the Bible? You know, looking at the Bible, maybe they're saying, I can't really understand this text. That's a really good question. You could say, well, what do you think? What do you think it says? Ask them questions. Be inviting. Be welcoming to them. So look, we have a great way at this church for people at every level of Bible skill to get very involved, and it's through life groups. At your life group, you have a chance to look at the text, the scriptures, be in a group environment led by a life group, two life group leaders, and think about things. I want to ask you, look around and find somebody in this church that you can welcome in. Maybe they don't have like a best friend at church yet. Maybe they're kind of on their own. Welcome them into something. Welcome in, them into going to grab a meal together or coming to your life group. How can you make somebody feel welcomed in their newfound faith? That's the first general guideline. The next general guideline to manage your convictions about the faith is to do this, to legitimize the wide variety of opinions within the faith. Okay, so when I say the faith, I mean like the things that we all agree on. 
So there are certain things that we all agree on, and there's a wide range of opinions on things that there will be people in this room that have different opinions, and that's okay. And we want to legitimize that. We don't want to demean anybody or judge people and condemn them. Here it goes, Romans 14, 2 through 5. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Look, if you, if you haven't been following along in this, you're probably like, what? I thought we were, I thought we were reading the Bible here. What are we talking about, eating vegetables? I'll explain it in just a second. Yeah, eating vegetables. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, we've been through this, and I want to go through it again. Context is a very important thing to work through when you're reading the Bible. Like knowing what the context was when this was written is key because usually there's a principle behind the context. And if we understand the context and then work toward the principle, we can bring the principle, not the context, we can bring the principle over to today. And be like, okay, well, then, then that principle then applies to our context. You guys see how that goes? Like, so, so when it's talking about stuff like food and it's talking about stuff like days of the week, We've got to understand, like, what's the context there so we can get at the principle. You guys with me? Okay, so realize this, and we've gone through this. Romans is a, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul primarily to a Jewish Christian audience living in Rome, all right? What we knew about that was that Rome, by this point, really hadn't had a pastor there. Like, not like not an apostle, no apostle had visited there, and really they were lacking leadership. So what Paul did in the first 12 chapters of this book was he shared, like, this dense amount of theology, like all these truths about who God is, you know, the fallenness of human beings, the solution through Christ. He went through, like, thing after thing, and he would have done that in person, that's why we don't see such a dense amount of things in, in the other books. Like Romans is like this treasure chest, 12 chapters of theology that you don't have in the other ones because Paul was physically there with them in the other letters. Like he was in Colossae when he wrote, uh, before he wrote Colossians. He was sharing these truths, but Romans, in lieu of him being there, he writes them all out. So you've got like 12 chapters, 1 through 12 this dense theology, you should go back and read that like over and over and over again. It'll help you in your faith. And then chapter 13 shifted over to application. So really, we're in that section right now. We're in chapter 14. It's still on application. And the deal is that Paul probably wanted to get to things like what he's writing right now about vegetables and days of the week. He wanted to get to that point because that was like the true need of what they had to be shepherded on, like of what was applying right now. It's kind of like, um, like when, you're, when your kid asks you a question and they're getting at like what the true application is, but, but like you take some time to talk about like the meaning leading up to that so they can better understand the application, right? 
So Paul takes like 12 chapters talking about meaning, and now he's finally getting to like what he's hearing about is going on in Rome. They can't figure out stuff to do with what they're supposed to eat (laughs) or, or the days that they're supposed to celebrate. And we might not think that that's a big deal. That was a huge deal to these Jewish Christians. The most defining characteristics of being a Jew, like the outward expressions, were what went into your body of what you ate and then the ways that you celebrated the high holidays and days of the week, like the Sabbath. That was like the biggest expression of that. So what Paul is doing is he's addressing those. And what I would submit to you is that those topics were very important to the people who were hearing them, but those topics are considered non-essentials. Non-essentials, that's my own label for it. You're not going to see that in Scripture. Non-essentials, meaning what Paul is saying is like, look, let each person be convinced in their own mind. So it's between that person and God. One person who's a Jewish Christian might be totally good with sticking to the Jewish diet and they like want to be on the safe side instead of eating only like the certain meats that, that are called out in the Torah, they're going to just eat vegetables. Another Jewish Christian or another Gentile Christian, they're good with eating everything. Guess what? No big deal. The one can have their belief and they shouldn't feel judgment against them. The other can have their belief and they shouldn't feel judgment against them. This is a non-essential issue that that person must be settled with God, but doesn't need to be outside of the family of beliefs. So what I thought I'd do is share with you the difference between the essentials of what we stand for here in the family of Oak Point churches, and this is pretty much the way that most Christian churches would say what they stand for. I want to share with you what those things are. These are the things that we would not waver on that we will not back down on, that we will not sacrifice our thoughts on, but then there's a whole range of things outside of these nine that we would be good with a wide variety of beliefs. So you should have a handout, and I'm going to go through them. They're on the screens too. And by the way, this is also on our website. So if you go to oakpoint.org slash West Bloomfield, and you click on beliefs, these will all be up there. And I'm going to read them out to you, and there's scriptures to back them up. We're not going to go through the scriptures, but I want you to know these are the essentials. These are the things that we for sure want to all believe in. And if you don't believe that any of these are true, we may have division within this church. Like you may not find this church to be uh, for you. All right? So here it is. First of all, God. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He has eternally existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin and death. He ascended to heaven's glory and will return again someday to earth to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. We believe here the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son of God. He is present in the world to make people aware of their need for Jesus Christ. 
He also lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. He provides the Christian with power for living, understanding of, their spirit, of spiritual truth and guidance in doing what is right. He gives every believer a spiritual gift when they are saved. As Christians, we seek to live under his control daily. Notice the his, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. Human beings. People are made in the spiritual image of God to be like him in character. People are the supreme object of God's creation. We learned in Ephesians, the poema. Ephesians chapter 2, you're the poem of God. But all of us are marred by our fallen nature, which produces attitudes and actions and disobedience toward God called sin. Sin separates people from God. There's a few more. Salvation. Salvation is God's free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never make up for our sin by self-improvement or good works. Oh, ouch. Like, if you've been living under a faith belief where it's like you earn your way to rightness with God, that's not what we believe is true. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer of forgiveness can we be saved from sin's penalty. When we turn from our self-ruled life and turn to Jesus in faith, we're saved. Eternal life begins the moment we receive Jesus Christ into our lives by faith. Eternal security. Because God gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true believer is secure in that salvation for eternity. If you have been genuinely saved, you cannot lose your salvation. Salvation is maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. It is the grace and keeping power of God that gives us this security. Eternity. People were created to exist forever. We will either exist eternally separated from God or by sin or eternally with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is hell. To be eternally in unison with him is eternal life or heaven. Heaven and hell are real places of eternal existence. And then the local church. The local church is a body of believers organized for worship, work, and fellowship. The two ordinances of the church are baptism by immersion and the Lord's Supper. The local church is an independent and self-governing body responsible to Christ alone, who is its Savior and Lord. Those, friends, are the essentials. Those are the things that if you believe something different or if anybody is up here preaching from this stage and starts to bring a different word than that, it would be grounds for division. Like you would stand firm on these essentials and move away from a church that isn't honoring these types of beliefs. But I want you to realize something. As important it is to know the essentials, there is a whole wide range of other important doctrines and beliefs 
that are very important to, to work through. Like I spend and I invite you to spend like tons of time thinking about other important things. Like for instance, I'll just throw one out there. Among many, like women in leadership, okay? Like can a woman be a pastor? Let's just get nice and dicey in the conversation today. Can a woman be a pastor? Like I spend a lot of time looking at scriptures, thinking about that, and that is healthy and that is good. And you can do that too. There's a whole wide range of topics outside these essentials. What we want to do is we want to be a church that honors people who have a wide range of opinions outside of the essentials to legitimize them, to allow them to be convinced in their own mind and not to divide over those things. Not to divide over those things. So so let me just pose this at you. In this room, many, many, many of us are all of the same belief on those essentials. That's awesome. And in in the same room, many, many of us have differing views on the non-essentials. My question for you is this. Knowing that, how valuable could it be for your walk to have a conversation with somebody else who has a differing view than you on the non-essential and learn from them without judging them? Like, we have a diverse church that doesn't all believe the same exact thing on the non-essentials. So how cool would it be if, like, you looked around the room and you're like, hey, I, like, you, you believe that the spiritual gifts, every single one of them, even the miraculous ones, like speaking in tongues, miracles, and stuff like that, like, you believe that that all exists today? I don't believe that that exists today. I'm not saying me. I'm saying, like, I'm pretending I'm a person. I don't believe that that exists today. Could we have a talk about that? And you do it in a civil way where people aren't arguing, we're not debating, we're just trying to learn from another. This church could be that type of church. We are the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ is going to look different, different colors of skin, different ages uh, here in this church. We have different beliefs on the non-essentials, and that can be a very beautiful, welcoming, and helpful thing. So we can use that toward our advantage, but not to condemn one another about those non-essentials. A couple of general guidelines. Here's one more for you. Leave differences of opinions between that person and God. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and this is Isaiah 45, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That whole moral is of the story there in that last, those last seven verses is that we are not the judge of people within the faith. God is their judge. 
we live to Christ. We die to Christ. We are not called to be the lords over people's beliefs. If a person around us in this body, in this fellowship, is convinced of a certain belief, that's totally fine. Like, we don't have to change them and and make them think about something different. Look, if somebody in this church is like, um, you know, pre-trib, rapture is going to happen, end times, and they're like convinced, like 100% that that is how it's going to go down, and they have a ton of scriptural evidence for that, and then another person is like, um, like mid-trib, like the rapture is going to, or the, the, the um, uh, what am I thinking here? The, the, the um, tribulation, the, the tribulation's going to occur, you know, like there's going to be uh, some, some persecution happening in a church, and then like somewhere middle through that is when the rapture might occur. Or maybe somebody believes that there isn't a rapture, like I'm talking end times stuff. Look, we can all get along. That would be a non-essential. Does that mean that we shouldn't be convinced in our own mind of what is true? No, it's good to wrestle with that stuff. And you can be convinced in your own mind. Just know that you aren't supposed to correct that person and debate them and and tell them they're wrong and condemn them. That's not your job. That person will speak to God. In fact, every single human being will bow their knee to Jesus Christ eventually. The only question is, is whether you're going to surrender and bow to Christ here on this earth or whether it's going to be too late where you die or Christ returns and you realize that you made the biggest mistake of your life and you didn't commit your life to Christ. The Bible says as long as there is today, as long as there is today, you have right now, you do not have any guarantees over anything else besides right now. As long as it is today, you can hear the voice of the Lord and you can turn to Jesus Christ as Lord. Every knee will bow. Every person is accountable to God. That means that we can leave differences of opinions between that person in God. So what do we do? Knowing we're not the judge, And if you hear a view in this church that's not one of the essentials, it's one of the non-essentials that is different than what you are comfortable with, different than what you believe to be true, you're called to be gentle with that person. It says that we live to the Lord, we die to the Lord. Your job is to be gentle with that person and not condemning. As the band comes back up, the bottom line, and our prayer partners go to their spots, the bottom line is that Convictions of the faith should propel and not hinder us. Look, my early first several months, when I went from being completely innocent and excited about the faith, curious to confused and wondering what just happened, that was a tough period of time. And I'll tell you what, over time, we left both, we left both of those churches it was just too much. Like the, the intensity of like this one to this, this one to this became too much. And, and, it, and it jaded my view of pastors and elders and leaders. And, and I'll tell you, it, it could have been my story to have left church altogether. 
And you know what? There's a whole lot of people out there that have that experience, and what happens is you never see them back on a Sunday morning ever again. They do the whole Christian thing on their own, but they're like, I'm not stepping foot in a church again. Those people are crazy. They fight. <laughs> and, that, and that's why we have like so many different beliefs and why it is hard to always get along within the church. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit had a plan for Renee and I and our family. The Holy Spirit, God kept us ingrained in the church. Like we went from a couple of bad experiences, then we had a couple of really good experiences. And like we had brothers and sisters in Christ who stood by us. They answered the questions. They didn't condemn us. And we grew in our faith. We grew in discipleship. But there's a whole lot of people out there that haven't experienced that. I want this church under the lordship of Jesus Christ to be a church where you can feel welcome, welcomed and you can feel curious in your faith. And you don't have to feel judged when you walk in these doors. We want to be that type of church around here. Perhaps for somebody here, you haven't ever been convinced about Jesus Christ as Lord. And look, I'm speaking to you right now. If that's you, if, like, if I were to ask you right now, ha- have you been saved? And you don't have a firm yes on that, I just want, you, I want to ask you to listen to me for a moment. Look, out of everything I just talked about, talking about these vegetables and days of the week, the most important thing to wrestle to the ground is this one question. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what Jesus asked his disciples. And the only valid answer is that he is the Christ of God. And this is what that means. That Jesus is God in human form. Every other faith system will divide and answer that differently except for Christianity. A Christian will answer that Jesus is the Christ of God. So let me ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the Christ? Jesus is God in human form who came to this earth to live the perfect life, the life that we couldn't live. We are marred by our own sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus went to the cross to die obediently there. At the hands of his accusers, he went there obediently, took on our shame, took on our condemnation, took on our curse and judgment against us at that cross. For anybody who would call on him as Lord, he took that on instead of you. We all deserve to have that. He took it on instead. Then Jesus died on that cross and he rose back to life on the third day, showing his defeat of sin, showing that he is the conqueror, showing that he is alive and Jesus is coming again soon at any moment. Is he your Lord? Would you call him the Christ of God? In a moment, I'll offer an opportunity for you to pray to ask him to be the Lord of your life. For the rest of us, for those who are Christians, look, I've got a couple of questions for you. Here's one. Where should you become more convinced? Have you been kind of going about all the beliefs of the faith, sort of laissez-faire, like just kind of going along for the ride? Maybe you like the fellowship when you come here on a Sunday morning or in life group, but, but maybe it's time to sharpen the pencil. Maybe it's time to open a book. Maybe it's time to consider deeper things of the faith. Where is God asking you to become more convinced 
in what you believe. And on the flip side, where should you become less condemning? If it's one of those non-essentials outside of the nine things that I read off, if it's something outside of that, but you are so convinced that you know that you have a judging attitude and you want to condemn people, maybe even not with your voice, but you know in your heart that you think a certain way toward that person. Look, newsflash, we can spot hypocrites from a mile away. (laughs) If you've got something that's sour in your heart toward another brother or sister, they probably know that. So where can you benefit by being less condemning? It's okay to be convinced. It's not okay and not biblical and not holy to be condemning toward people and those non-essential beliefs. Would you stand up and would you bow your heads for prayer? We talked about the need to welcome in new believers and not debate with them. Maybe for somebody here today, that's like a new thing in your, your, or it's a good reminder of, wow, we do have a decent amount of new people in the faith here. And you're convinced today that you should do something to welcome another person in. That it's just maybe what you say to them when they're, well, when they're walking in on a Sunday morning or maybe inviting them into your life group or maybe you attending life group so you can encourage some of the new believers in those life groups. If God is asking you and pressing on you right now to welcome in new believers, would you raise your hand? See you in the back and in the front here, left. See you on the right. See you guys. It's okay to be convinced of our faith. It's okay to be convinced of some of those non-essential doctrines of what you believe and what I believe. But maybe the challenge for you today is to legitimize all of those beliefs, those non-essentials, to legitimize another human being, to treat them as a legitimate other and not a, a judging point in your own mind. If that's your challenge today, to legitimize people with different beliefs than you outside of the essentials, would you raise your hand? I see you guys. I see you. The Lord wants to help you on that journey, wants to help to soften your heart to realize that. Finally, is there somebody here today when I asked about your stance on the most important question of all time, who do you say Jesus Christ is? That up to today, you haven't settled that answer. And maybe right now, you are convinced, you're convinced that you need to turn to Jesus Christ to get that forgiveness from your sins and have rightness with God. And if that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand. If today is the day that you now know I need Jesus Christ as my Lord, he's the Christ of God, and that's that's come on you for the first time ever, raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you. I'm not going to bring you up or anything like that. I just want to be a prayer partner. Just let me know who you are. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have a diverse church. I thank you, God, that we are not all thinking exactly the same thing about everything. 
I thank you, Lord, that we are a welcoming church. God, we want to stay that way. We want to be open to the non-essentials. We want to be convinced in our own minds, but we don't want to be condemning toward our brother or sister. We want to love them. We want to serve them and show them your love, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.